We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Today we're here to break down a few things. For starters, we're going to break down the All-22 game film review. We are lucky enough to have it. Of the Giants-Patriots preseason game. Key takeaways for us, what we saw on the tape, things of that nature. Then we're going to dive into some injury updates. A lot to talk about there. We're going to talk about the Giants practice today. August 14th, Sunday. Things going on with the offense we don't like to see. I want to get into some Kenny Galladay, Colin Johnson talk that we talked about a little bit on the, uh, before the podcast. And just overall, everything that we're thinking right now as we head into the second week of preseason coming up this Sunday for the New York Giants. So before we do that, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? And do you want to give a little preamble on why this one's going to be a little different than what we normally do for the All-22 film reviews in season? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm doing great. Dan, it's one of my last days in New Jersey. Excited to go back to Arizona where I have a more stable setup in terms of podcasting and everything. And we're really excited for this season. This is going to be not even half of the type of reviews that we do during the regular season. During the regular season, we break down the the offense and the defense, they each have their own specific podcast. We go, we can go drive by drive. We can go macro. We do a lot of different things to break down the X's and O's in the scheme to just tell you guys what's actually going on on the football field. Here, we're going to do a little bit of that from the preseason game, but we're not going to really dive into every single aspect. We're just more so doing key takeaways from the game and things to pay attention to heading into the second preseason game. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start this off with. A little recap of the uh, let's start this off actually with the film review, Nick. I think that's better. And then we'll move to what we learned from August 14th practice and then the injuries. because The injuries started to pile up for this team, unfortunately, which is really disappointing. But at the same time, I want to at least put into context. We are still over three weeks away from their first game, almost a full month away from the Giants first game. So with that said. I feel OK right now about the injuries and until they're more long term, you know, surgery type stuff then you know you start to get a little bit more worried we'll talk about that though let's first talk about the film review of the game and we can kind of bounce back and forth with with where you want to go i want to start nick though with a play that you put on twitter and you broke down and maybe you can break it down now on the podcast as well it was the touchdown the missed touchdown from daniel jones to colin johnson when johnson was running free on the vert uh jones just didn't see it ultimately 
has hitches three times into his throw and, and overthrows the fullback in the flat. What did you see on this breakdown? Why did you like this so much as I did from a schematic standpoint? And maybe what could Jones do better on this play? Yeah, so first off, I want to preface all this by saying Daniel Jones did not play terribly. And I don't even think this play is an egregious mistake by Daniel Jones, but it's just somewhat of a microcosm of the gripes that we've discussed about Daniel Jones over the last several years. And it comes down to decisiveness. It comes down to pre to post snap diagnosis. All right. This is a first and 10 play. The giants are in 12 personnel and they have Colin Johnson outside of the numbers to the field side. So the ball is on the far hash. And I think that is important. Now it's not college football. So the, the field isn't as wide and that throw isn't as difficult as in college football, but still there is some distance there. The pre-snap alignment from the Patriots defense is a cover three, cover one type of look. And at the snap, they transition to a two high, cover two, Tampa two type of look. Tampa two, the difference between cover two and Tampa two is just that the linebacker basically drops to a deeper depth to remove the vulnerability between the safeties. So at the snap, Daniel Jones goes into the play action, which is an also an important element here with this play. Because once he turns, I think he believes that it's still cover three. And he flashes his eyes to the flat to see what that cornerback is doing. And at that time, the cornerback isn't following Colin Johnson. He actually has his eyes on Jeremiah Hall, who was leaking into the flat. And Colin Johnson already has him beat and he puts his hand in the air. And I think it's important because that middle of the field close safety pre-snap is now a deep half safety. And he is outside of the hash but he's not quite towards the numbers at this time. So in my opinion, there is a window here. Daniel Jones needs to quickly, quickly throw the football once he hits that back foot. Now, there's not a ton of space between Colin Johnson and his safety, and realistically, that safety may have been able to make a good play on the football, but the confidence isn't there in Daniel Jones, Dan. He questions it. I think he's still diagnosing what the coverage is. It's obvious that it's not cover three because of the way the cornerback is playing it. And he decided not to throw the football. He hung on to it. And this is also a flood concept. So you have basically that outside guy, Colin Johnson, running the vertical. And then you have Jeremiah Hall leaking in to the flat with the tight end running the seven routes. It's a three-level route concept. So you have someone in flat, someone in the middle, intermediate, and then someone running deep. And I believe Daniel Jones, since he just didn't fully know what was going on, he didn't take the throw when it was there. He waited to see if the seven was going to open up, but the cornerback sat, like we said, so that wasn't going to open up. So then he panicked and he kind of just checked down to the fly. I think if he could have this again, Dan, he would throw that football, but you have to quickly make that decision. And that is a, that's just something that Daniel Jones has struggled with his entire career. Yeah, you know that your breakdown was excellent. And for those who missed it, Nick broke this play down on Twitter. So you can kind of see it as it as you read it or as you listen to this. And I think that gives a better perspective. There are things to like about this play unrelated to Daniel Jones, in my opinion. The things to like are one, Colin Johnson getting open for an easy touchdown. Two, more importantly for me, it's those three, it's that three-level flood concept. I mean, you talk we talk a lot about last year and two years ago and the year before how much we love the Mills concept and the stress it puts on the safeties and how it really is ideal and advantageous if you're looking to create explosive big plays. I feel like these three-level flood concepts are similar to that, and I'd love to see the Giants use it more. And again, just like with Mills, it's not like Jason Garrett never called it. Just we want to see it more frequently. So the play call is great, but Jones here, there's a lot of issues I have with Jones on this play. The, 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 key are, the key ones are the ones you already broke down, Nick, so I don't need to harp on them. The processing is just a tick too slow. 
And this is what we talk about when I mention online on Twitter or on the podcast before that Jones doesn't always have the aggressiveness or the willingness to try to fit the ball into tight windows. Well, this isn't even really that tight of a window, but he does have to trust himself that his arm talent can beat that safety to that th- to, to the point where you got to throw. But you could lead Colin Johnson. You could throw back shoulder there. There are different ways. I mean, honestly, there's enough space there that I don't really feel like it's that tight of a window, especially if he processes fast enough. And like you said, Nick, hits his back foot and releases the football. But one thing that really scares me about this play, Nick, is it's, it's the drop, too. I mean, if you watch this play, and I went over this with you before the podcast, like he can't really even throw from his drop because when he gets to his drop, his feet are so far apart. His legs are so far apart. It's almost like his left leg is in a lunge position. If he tried to create a throw from that, I'm sure the ball would just kind of die on him like it did on in that practice throw where he where he threw back to Colin Johnson off that play action, um, a different route concept, but still tried to throw it and the ball kind of died on him and it was like a wounded duck up there. And he just it there's just so much about the process right now that's just slow for Jones. Um, and unfortunately it showed up on this play. And like you said at the top, Nick, the key to take away here is it was actually a pretty okay night for Jones. I didn't ask him to do anything obviously, but this was his only play that I felt was really not a good play from Jones other than this. And and maybe the one that Baldy broke down, you could maybe throw that in where, you know, again, it's a play action concept. If he hits his back foot immediately and gets the ball out to Colin Johnson there over the middle, it's probably completion. It's not an easy throw though. He has to get it over to the fender. This is a separate play we're talking about. And And, and he has to have a quick, uh, to be completely honest, he has to have a much quicker release than he really has naturally. Just to be honest, I don't think he has a naturally quick release at all. I think that's not really a thought in our opinion. It's just a pure fact from watching this that anyone would tell you besides maybe Homer's fans. So we got to call spade like a spade. That one's a tougher throw to make. But this one, man, this is the one that I probably sure, like you said, I wish you would like that back. But overall, fine night for Jones. We'll break down some other stuff. But this was the key. Yeah, he did pretty well on third down situations, converted yes. two third and fives, third and two. We can go over those plays a little bit. But even on this play, I'll say this, all right? If you want to look at this glass half full, he missed the Colin Johnson. He missed him open, right? He didn't force it afterwards. He looked for other options, tried going through his progressions, but he didn't try to force it after he realized he missed. And I don't know if if that is an excellent excuse because obviously you don't want him to miss a receiver who is open, but he didn't try to force it afterwards, all right? And then he just took the check down. I'm okay with that to that point. What I'm not okay with is the fact that he didn't see Colin Johnson open, recognize the coverage, and then pull the trigger when he should have to optimize the play. That's what I'm not okay with, and that's the difference-making trait in the NFL. Quarterbacks who can quickly diagnose that and then throw the football because they know what they're seeing. And then quarterbacks who don't, and they second guess themselves. You don't want a quarterback who's going to just consistently check down all the time. So it's a, uh, it's not a great look for Daniel Jones. I don't think it's the most egregious things. And I think this is just who Daniel Jones is. I'm not surprised by this. This is stuff that we've seen throughout his tape in his NFL career. And I think he prior to the neck surgery, I don't know if that has anything to do with velocity or arm strength. He could, he can make throws like this from the far hash. I mean, safety isn't outside the hash, and I think that's important to note, but we've seen him put solid velocity on some of his passes in the past. Yeah, you're right. He's hit this exact throw actually down the left sideline to Slayton with velocity. I remember, I think it was versus Washington where he threw a really nice ball there that hit him in stride with Velo. Um, now, as far as what you said with the next surgery, I don't know if that's – that's not reported as a fact, right? We don't – we just kind of are yeah, – there's been some speculation on it because, you know, some there's been some photos circulating around the Internet of 
a potential scar on Jones's neck that people have located that uh, multiple people have sent this to us that wasn't there before that. There's speculation maybe he got surgery. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But like you said, Nick, the bottom line is this. Regardless of if he had the surgery, if he didn't have the surgery, if he has the confidence, if you can't make that throw in the NFL, then you're never taking your team to a Super Bowl on a consistent basis or the playoffs and a run on the consistent basis. If you can't diagnose this coverage or diagnose this open receiver and quickly get the ball out, man, in year four, I just can't personally lean on the, well, he's learning a new system because Tyrod Taylor is learning a new system too. And Tyrod Taylor was not in the system with Buffalo. He did not practice or play with Brian Dable. He was traded and he is just so much more advanced right now within that. And why is that? Well, yes, he's had a lot more experience and he's played a lot more NFL snaps than Jones, but it's not like Jones is in year two right now. Like to me, that excuse is only fair in year two and year four. If you're not processing things fast enough and you're taking forever to pick up an offense and you're second guessing yourself within this sit within, you know, simple things like seeing that coverage there and knowing you can pull the trigger. It's an issue for me. It's there's no beating around the bush. You have to call a spade like a spade. We just have to. It's not fair to anyone that's listening to this or anyone that wants to evaluate the game. If we don't, I know there's a lot of pushback whenever you say anything negative about Jones. I understand it's still the preseason. I understand that we want to wait for games, and I do. I want to wait to see this offense in the regular season. I'm not making any declarations on this so far, but these are just type type of things, like you said, Nick, that I wish I wasn't seeing in year four. Same here. It's little things like this that that we have issues with, and it's just what's the ceiling with a quarterback like Daniel Jones? I mean, I, I don't know what the ceiling is there. I think he can be, like I've said several times, I think he has a place in the NFL, but he's going to take you to the promised land if he's if he's not consistently taking advantage of opportunities like this. And I I don't think he I don't think he can unless he can rectify that. Yeah. And unfortunately, that may be the case. I want to talk about some good things, though, from this game run film. There's a lot of good things to talk about, in my opinion. Um, let's start with one thing that stands out to me above individual players. Good news. I would say, despite the fact that they were running uh, really vanilla plans on both sides of the ball, I saw a lot from both Dable and I saw a lot from both Wink. And that it, that is really exciting to me because I do feel confident, Nick through it all that we got the right guys in here with Brian Dable, Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale. I really want them to be able to hold it together. I really want Joe Shane to have a long leash with this group, uh, with this specific coaching group. And that doesn't maybe that doesn't uh, extend to some of the position coaches. I can be, you know, go either way. Let's see how that goes. But man, these guys are doing, I, I really like what I see. There was just some things that Dable did. You talked about that flood three level flood concept. That was great. Um, I was watching a breakdown from, a buddy of yours who you told me, uh, you know, you were friends with from Eric from our, from cover one. And he, cause he, look, he, he broke it down. He wanted to break down the giants offense because he's a bills. They, they, they cover the bills a lot and, they, and they're really interested in, in what's going on with Dave's. They've, they've, I've, I've had several guys who cover the bills reach out and be like, how's it going? They want to know the lowdown. And so he's seen a lot of the concepts that Dave's is going to run. And a couple of things that he broke down that I wanted to point out, cause they were really interesting to me. He said, one of the staple uh, Dable plays is this RPO from which is essentially a, a slant flat combination. And then he talked about how he likes to do these free access hybrid RPO type plays where it's essentially a glance route. I mean, that's what he broke. That's how he broke it down. That's how I've heard it in the past. But what he call, uh, termed it as Nick was kind of a hybrid RPO where you, if you have the speed out, you can just take that easy solution. And I feel like there weren't a lot of easy solutions for the Giants in the Jason Garrett offense, really. They tried to find solutions via spacing and things of that nature. Um, and then there was one other thing that he broke down. I want to get your take on that, if you think that's going to be a staple of the offense, that those kind of like easy solution RPOs. 
And then he broke down a, a route later that Tyrod Taylor missed on. It was a bad throw. The placement was off. But what I loved about this was it was a two-way route, Nick, later in the game to Richie James right before halftime, where Richie James was kind of the lone X. I mean, he was the lone wide receiver on the left side of the scrimmage, but it was from the tight split. And I love the Sean McVay tight splits with these receivers because I just feel like as he broke down on this play, kudos to Eric who broke this down, they use the, the, the tight ends who's lined up on his side on kind of like a drag route. And then what that does is because Richie James is aligned from the tight split, it gives him a two-way go. That's kind of the key to the whole Sean McVay use these receivers in tight splits. You allow them to have more two-way goes. What's a two-way go? A two-way go is Richie James is one-on-one over the middle, and since he has space on both his left or right, it makes it really hard for that coverage guy as because the tight ends take it on the drag, taking the linebacker out of the, out of the vacated area or creating a vacated area. And now you have a two-way route where the receiver can break inside or outside. And that, to me, is just really smart coaching that I saw from Dave. So maybe talk about any of that, Nick, or anything you liked from a schematic standpoint on the offensive side of the ball. So first off, free access is its a concept we ran all the time at FDU. It's typically reserved, but it doesn't have to be, for the backside receiver in a three-by-one set. And essentially all it is, and it goes to what we've been discussing with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka all throughout the offseason – the quarterback is going to read the leverage of the cornerback and he's going to basically be on the same page with the wide receiver. And they're going to have some sort of signal pre-snap to tell that wide receiver what he's going to run. Say if the cornerback is in off coverage, he's going to run a speed out. So he'll give him the speed out signal. If he's going to run a quick curl or a quick hitch and they would have like the yardage determined, you know, through the offense, whether that be three yards or five yards. So the timing is all synced and lined up. He would give that signal for that. If he wanted to run the glance route, which is essentially just, you know, a little skinny post or a little slant, whatever you want to call it. If the defender is an outside leverage, then they're going to give the signal for that. So it's just a way to take advantage of those one-on-one matchups based on the leverage of the cornerback against that backside receiver, like the X, that's probably going to be a lot of Colin Johnson, a lot of Kenny Galladay. So that's the free access. In terms of the scheme, I really liked what I saw from Dable and Kafka. And it was vanilla, yeah, but you saw the variety. Like, we could just focus on the rushing attack, Dan. They were running some duo. They were running a little bit of counter. They had some power gaps, so they were pulling backside guards. Did see counter once with Deshaun Corbin. They were attacking outside. They were running physically inside. And I thought felt like the blocking was pretty solid with that second unit, albeit. It is a unit that is going up against, you know, second, third string unit for the Patriots. I think that's important to note, but it did seem like they were cohesive at least. So Bobby Johnson might be doing something right there. And then you talk about the route concepts. Saw a lot of double China, which is a route concept where it was Colin Johnson and Kenny Galladay. You align a three by one set, the number one, which is the outside receiver. And the number two, they both run quick in routes. And then the number three receiver, which was typically Wondell Robinson, runs a seven, which is a corner route, a flag route, if you want to call it that. And it's just a good way to get somebody open. Say Wondell Robinson gets matched up against a a nickelback or a safety. He's probably going to have leverage to the outside. So you can take that flag. But then you also, your, your eyesight as a quarterback is already in that direction to the play side. You have two guys breaking in. If one of those guys wins that release and gets leverage to the inside, then that's an easy pass completion right there. And we saw Daniel Jones attempt to do that. He did it in the red zone on that third and five as well to Saquon Barkley. That was a choice route. He didn't even do the double China side. He went to the choice route to the backside and the tight end, I believe also had a choice. I think they ran that play three different times, the double China choice route to the backside type of concept. So I love to see that. And I just felt like whenever they wanted to change the tempo up, they did it. They did a lot with Davis Webb. 
You know, they did a lot of move the pocket, a lot of play action, zone read type of stuff. Love the RPOs. I, I felt like, and we've said this in previous podcasts, there were so many times where there was like three different options for the quarterback built into the play. They can just hand the football off. They're reading one defender. That one defender is the conflict defender, whether that be the inside linebacker or the apex defender. You read him. If he's going to go inside, then you throw the bubble screen or you throw the slant. You 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 don't hand the football off. But if that linebacker decides to drop into coverage a little bit and he allows you to give the ball off, then you have a minus one defender now in the box. So you can hand the football off and now you are all blocked up and Saquon can do his thing. So I just love the fact that there's so many quick decisions that I think Daniel Jones can handle in with, with things like that. And I want to get your take on that. But at the same time, there's just several different options for Daniel Jones for, and it's all based on what the defender is doing. And I just think it's an easy way to move the football and then also keep the defense on their toes a little bit. And if they want to get really aggressive, you can design uh, screens and things like that, which we saw. So it was a lot of variety, despite the fact that it was, you know, a little bit vanilla with some of the base concepts, but we saw a lot of different things. Yeah, Nick, you know that my take on that is you're damn right. I mean, dating back to his days at Duke, Daniel Jones can run those kind of concepts. He's good with the RPO. He did it with Shermer a little bit. They tried to use it times with Garrett, not as much. And I feel like from what I saw, just from the, from your breakdowns, from what I watch, and from the breakdown from Eric, there are different, there are more like unique wrinkles to some of these RPOs. Like like I talked about with those speed outs, that just feels to me like I'm going to see a lot of easy solutions in the regular season like that. Like later on, Tyrod Taylor hit one to Colin Johnson, which was an inaccurate ball that Johnson kind of adjusted on low, made a nice catch. There were solutions throughout with that. And like you said, it puts that, you know, you want to put that defender in conflict. We always talk about putting the safety in conflict for those deeper concepts. Well, you can do it for these shorter concepts too, like you said, with the overhang defender. So definitely something I like to see, uh, something the Giants should be using a lot of. And look, last year, the Dolphins had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL from a pass protection standpoint. They had nothing really at the receiver position. And Tua Tagovailoa, who is an okay player, in my opinion, at best, at quarterback. And they were somehow able to generate offense just by almost strictly running RPOs. Like, it was one of the weirdest-looking offense ever. It's almost like the Wildcat came back in a different form, a unique gimmicky offense with just pure RPO. Like, I think they ran, like, something like two-thirds of their plays were RPOs, just crazy type stuff. And just goes to show, teams, you can't really adjust to stop it too And You can stop it, but, like, I mean, like, overall, it, there's no not a huge ceiling on this, but, it, they're like you said, Bottom line, Nick, they're free solutions for the offense. And so take them. Obviously, I'm happy that the Giants are using them now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Football season is right around the corner, and if you're into sports gambling, you have to check out OddsTrader.com. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can compare different sign-up codes and promotions from sportsbooks to get the best deal. So if you're into handicapping, play-by-play updates, live scoring and bet tracking, player statistics, key game statistics, projected weather, all of this. If you're into that, you have to check out OddsTrader.com. Go to OddsTrader.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's OddsTrader.com slash BLUEWIRE to optimize your betting. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Uh, we've talked a little bit about a lot of the I don't want to really harp back on some of the things we broke down on our original podcast, breaking down this game, like Evan Neal, things of that nature, unless there's other things you want to talk about from what you've seen. There are some things we didn't get to that I would like to see. For starters, you put up on Twitter uh, a breakdown of all of Antonio Williams' 10 runs. And now Antonio Williams, at least in today's practice, we're going to talk about that a little later, the 8-14 practice, starting to get a little bit of work with the first team. I think he flashed in this in this preseason game. To me, from watching the breakdown of the 10 runs you put up there, what I like the most about him would be two things. One, slashing style. Two, contact balance. I think he has pretty damn good contact balance uh, for, for a prospect, and that will allow him to create yards after first contact. So just what are your thoughts on some on, on, on Williams after kind of breaking him down? I thought all three of the running backs played pretty well, but the one who impressed me the most was Antonio Williams. And it's it's not just the contact balance and the physicality, all that stuff pops up on screen. But it's like the the the, the subtle, the subtle nuances of of rushing behind the line of scrimmage to bait linebackers to take bad angles, essentially. There was a run that he had, and I think it was an outside zone run. I'm trying to find it right now. No, it was a weak side zone run in 12 personnel with a YY set. So he's running to the weak side, so the, the non-tight end side. And he presses the line of scrimmage. What I mean by pressing the line of scrimmage is when you're a running back, you have the ball. You're, you're basically running up to the line of scrimmage. You're, you're showing a certain angle. He does such a good job kind of acting like he's going to cut up inside of, I believe it was Ben Bredesen's block. And that baits Cam McGrone, the, the former linebacker from Michigan, into that hole. And then what he does is he just subtly just bounces to the outside of that. And then there's just a wide open hole with no linebacker and no no one really around him at all except for a backside safety who has to get over there. And it's just the way he angled his body approaching the line of scrimmage allowed him to jump around a block. He basically baited McGrone into taking himself out of the play. It's just little subtleties like that. And we saw Antonio Williams run – power gap you know he was running inside he was running outside he was running in a variety of different ways he wasn't going down easily and he also made a pretty nice special teams tackle at a certain point and i believe gary brightwell did as well which is you know going to be huge for whoever's going to make this roster because the running back three is probably not going to get too much run with the offense unless an injury happens so i was impressed with what i saw from antonio williams just in general and i think he was a much smarter runner than i originally anticipated and that's always one of the most underrated aspects and traits when evaluating these running backs, the nuance, their ability to process mental processing. We talk about it a lot with the quarterback position. I, you know, we don't talk about it enough. I don't think with the running back position. So that's great to hear, Nick. You also broke down on big blue view for those who want to check it out. And you should always check out Nick's work. This dude is as thorough as it gets. He's a G in this, in this industry. No offense to the rest of the guys trying to do this, but 
he did a film breakdown of Kayvon Thibodeau over at Big Blue View. And so what was your takeaway? I'll be honest with you, Nick, just from watching Kayvon Thibodeau and trying to focus in, I didn't have too much to take away. So I had to go to your your breakdown and read it for myself and, and get a better feel for it. But maybe give the listeners who didn't get a chance to read that what your thoughts are on Thibodeau's debut. Yeah, I felt like Kayvon Thibodeau was just very disciplined. Now, he didn't have the highlight reel type of plays. That's all well and good. The guy played 14 snaps. I feel like the battle between edge rushers and offensive tackles, it's a chess match throughout the game, okay? So, like, I'm not going to read too much into the fact that he wasn't popping off the screen. But I did want to just watch and see, was he disciplined with his run fits? How was his responsibilities? How did he use his hands? Where did he position his body at the point of attack? Was he playing with good leverage? Was he still quick? All that kind of stuff. Stuff that I didn't necessarily question. I don't think there was too much to take away from just Kayvon Thibodeau and what he did here. It's just good to see him in uniform playing, essentially. And more importantly, there were a lot of people panicking, saying they didn't like his effort level in this game. Please, come on. That was not a concern. On Twitter? No way. Uh, Yeah, Twitter is such a cesspool, man. I just see some of the craziest stuff sometimes. But people were like, give me – and I'm not calling this person crazy because – it is what it is. I mean, look, it's hard to see from just the first angle if you're watching on the broadcast. And obviously, like you said, he didn't make any flash plays. But the effort level was not a concern, I didn't think, at all when I was just watching the breakdown and rewatching the game. Yeah, I, I didn't have any concern about no. that either. I mean, he's just out there. You know, I don't want to say he's trying not to get hurt, but that's my main thing. Just don't get yeah, hurt. Don't get hurt. Right. Exactly. exactly. We lost Shane Lemieux. Like, it is what it is. Like I go back and forth on the whole, do I want to see everybody in the preseason thing? I know a lot of fans were really excited about Brian Dable saying we're going to play a lot of our guys in the preseason. I, I'm back and forth on it. I see both. I, I think Art Stapleton had a great tweet about this. It's a lose-lose situation for the coach because if he plays the guys and they get hurt, everybody's pissed. If he doesn't play them, everybody's pissed. I, I don't know, man. I, some of these guys, I don't like Saquon Barkley. I don't want to see another preseason snap. I just don't think there's any value to that type of thing. And, you know, you lose a Shane Lemieux and it makes me second guess any of these guys going out there. Kayvon Thibodeau included. I don't know if I need Kayvon Thibodeau out there, to be honest. And just it is what it is. We're going to play them. Hopefully they don't get hurt. But I'm not worried about anything on the Thibodeau front. Uh, I thought you put up a really nice breakdown of Quincy Roche play. Uh making a really nice play on a run stop to get inside of, I believe the tackle and the, between the tackle and the guard, I think it was, but you can correct me. It might've been between the guard and the center. It's a really good move at the snap and to make a run stop. He is the reason that play was made. He makes a lot of those like smart, savvy plays that, you know, you don't always get to see in the box score or they don't flag. People don't always, you know, highlight them, but that's the type of reason that's, that's one of the big reasons I like Roche as a long-term piece here. I don't think he's going to be any kind of like superstar edge rusher for the Giants, but I feel like he's just a quality guy to have on your roster. It's the way he just dips his shoulder on that play too, man. He just basically turns his shoulders and gets so low to dip around the tackle who has a really good angle of attack there. So he gets so low, shows a lot of flexibility, and then just absolutely sheds the tackle and and busts the entire play up to make a tackle for a loss. I hope Quincy Roche makes this roster. I I don't know if it's a lock. Like I would have said, you know, maybe like two or three weeks ago. But he's a good football player, man. And if he doesn't make this team, somebody's going to scoop him up and he's going to be productive. He's the kind of guy that you want on your football team. He might not, you know, get 10 sacks or anything like that, but he can stop the run. He can rush the passer. He has powerful hands. He's stout at the point of attack. And he has, you know, deceptive quickness, too. So I really i am pushing for Quincy Roche to make this team. Yeah, man. A couple of things I want to touch on that you broke down in some of your film review on Twitter. Again, anyone can find it on Nick's feed. Bellinger's spring in that long run for Brightwell. What did you see there? Because I, I, I personally love to see that. 
Uh, yeah, that was a split action type of run. And basically Daniel Bellinger just flew in and, and just cut the guy. A lot of people are like, oh, is that a illegal to chop block? Chop block is when you do that. The fender that you do that to is already engaged. Yes. Pop in a block. That's a chop block. You can cut somebody all day, every day. So that's exactly what he did there. He's he cut the Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They do that kind of stuff all the time. So it was a really nice play by by Daniel Bellinger, just a location. It reminded me a little bit of Caden Smith. Caden Smith was pretty good in, in those types of situations yeah. as well. But yeah, it helps spring a, a nice run. It's against backups, but still, it's it's encouraging stuff. Very encouraging. He was really quick to get to that cut block. So that's the type of stuff I like to see him coming across, making that block. Uh, another guy that's, you know, I want to ask you about, you, you you broke down a little bit, and I think you did two plays of his on Twitter. Steady progression for him. He started out working with the third-team offense at the beginning of camp. Now, as early as today, with all the injuries with Shane Lemieux and John Feliciano, he worked as a starting left guard with the first team at today's practice and switched over immediately to the starting center when Feliciano got hurt and had to leave practice. And that's Ben Bredesen. Want to talk a little bit about some of the plays you broke down with Bredesen. Is there some hope that maybe he can be a quality impact potential starter or at worst, maybe a reserve swing guy? I mean, he's still a young developing player. So yeah, he could eventually be a starter. I, I think ideally you'd want him to be a swing guy right now, but I actually really liked his tape. I mean, he played center, you know, I felt like there were plays where he was initially beat and he, and he rebounded and he positioned himself and then he finished the play with a lot of authority. I think the one play he ended up driving the guy to the ground. I feel like his hands are pretty damn quick. They're pretty strong as well. I came away pretty impressed with what I saw from Ben Bredesen and the offensive line. I mean, it sucks right now. You lose Jamil Douglas. I didn't think he played all that well until the injury. Shane Lemieux, I felt like he looked, you know, solid out there until he ended up hurting his toe, but if those injuries are persistent, Ben Bredesen is going to be a, a more important player than maybe we originally thought too. So the fact that he kind of went in there and, and played pretty damn well is is definitely a good thing, but you always got to put it in perspective. You're playing against guys who might not have a job in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. We got. I, I do want to see these other preseason games. I should walk back a little what I said earlier. I do want to see some more starters. Not. I don't want it to be completely Joe Judge style because I want to see how they match up against first team defenders because this was the entire second team Patriots defense followed by the third team defense. So it really should. It's it's an important perspective to keep in mind here as we break down some of the good things that they that went down. But overall, good stuff. Last thing I have on my menu of what I wanted to get to, then you could touch on anything we might have missed from a film review standpoint was just seeing Wink Barndale, like, look, I understand this was a vanilla game plan from a defensive side of the ball, but <laughs> even in a vanilla game plan, this dude finds a way to create havoc for opposing offenses. We have a lot of bad quarterbacks coming up on the schedule this season. They're gonna, I just think they're going to have a lot of trouble with Wink. I think they will too. I really do. And it was vanilla on the first drive and the second drive when it was the starters. It didn't seem as vanilla when the backups came in. Now, I think on the back end, the coverages, you didn't see too much like uh, rotating coverage. You saw, like, you know, sometimes a guy was in the box dropped to like a deep half or something like that. But up front, what they were doing with their alignment, with the pass rushers that they were using, there was some really interesting stuff there. And it was the same stuff that we broke down constantly when the Giants hired Wink Martindale. You know, stuff as simple as bringing two blitzers through the B gap and using an edge rusher who was like a five technique to basically just get the tackle out of there. And the pre-snap alignment occupied the center. So, and then they, you have a four-eye slant inside to take away the guards. Now you just have a wide open B-gap with two free rushers, stuff like that. There was simulated pressures where everyone was crowding on the line of scrimmage or one side, they were crowding really hard, showing like they were going to blitz. And then the other side, they were just kind of meandering around. And then right at the snap, 
the guys will crowd the line of scrimmage, bail out, protection slides in that direction, and then they bring the actual pass rushers from the other way. And they'll only send four when it's a simulated pressure, but now you have, you know, a two versus one. It, like Wink Martindale, what he does to scheme advantages and advantageous matchups for his pass rushers, it's great. It really is. It's going to be so fun to break down throughout the season, man. I'm so excited for it. Yeah, selfishly from our perspective, it just makes watching the All-22 so much more fun. Like, that's the that's a big takeaway for me, and I know you're right. In the regular season, it's going to be a lot of fun, too, and we're going to have a lot of fun when it's Kayvon Thibodeau on the other end of one of those big plays or really, you know, anyone. Aziz Ojolari back at practice, really good news on the injury front there. So he does make it fun for us, and I think Brian Dable makes it fun for us, too. We need some better execution from the off from the past game. I mean, the quarterback is where that starts for me, but they're still fun watching that, watching the schemes, like you said. So um, one other thing I want to touch on, and then I'll turn it over to you in case that we missed any loose ends. You know, talk about the steady drumbeat with Colin Johnson all camp. We talked about him a lot on the immediate reaction after watching the preseason game. I didn't come away any less impressed watching one film. Like I talked about earlier, that guy Eric from Cover One broke down one of the plays he made uh, a bunch of plays with Colin Johnson, but one of them was that was the play where we thought Jones probably had his best play of the game where he kind of stepped up on a third and two through the pressure, through the muck of the pocket could have ran with it instead, try to said, decided to throw the whip route to Colin Johnson. But it was really cool to see uh, Eric break it down. Cause he talked about this. I'd never heard of this before, Nick, you've definitely probably heard of this, but a gangster release. And then he, and he embedded in his video. It's called a gangster release that Colin Johnson had there. Never heard of that. And he'd embedded in his video, a coach breaking down what that is. And essentially it's to take advantage of the cornerback who's kind of on his back heels. And you can use your contact within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage. Like Colin Johnson does a great job of here using his contact to kind of fire into the guy and put him off that more off balance. If you're on the back heels trying to play that style of coverage, or you're, you know, you're using that kind of alignment and technique, you're going to be off put. You're going to be off balance. If you, if, if a receiver makes contact and then obviously Johnson does a great job running the whip route off of that, understanding the space, having that spatial awareness, making the catch. Then he, then even within this route, this is something that Eric broke down, which I thought was so cool. I would have never noticed this, Nick. You see, after he makes the catch, Colin Johnson kind of look back to see where he should go with, the ball after you know where he should move after the catch where he should cut it up then he cuts it up picks picks the right lane breaks another tackle and creates even more yards after contact there so just an overall one a really really good play from a player like colin johnson which was a third and two as well so it was a high leverage type of situation that was a great play and you know i never heard the term gangster release so i would just call that a physical release but yeah. it makes a lot of sense you just you know take advantage of the fact that that cornerback's going to be Moving a little bit backwards, you just use your physicality at the line of scrimmage. And that's something that Kenny Galladay has, and that's something that Colin Johnson has. But you look at these two players right now, Colin Johnson is just popping off of the screen. And I never thought I would think this or say something like this, but you're just not seeing that from Kenny Galladay at the moment. And I think you look at this like this conversation that we've had all offseason, Dan, is what is this wide receiver room going to look like? I would be pretty shocked if Colin Johnson doesn't make this team at this point. And that's not something I would have said two weeks ago. 100%. You you nailed that. Nick. Like two weeks ago, we weren't saying that. Now I'd be stunned and highly disappointed if Colin Johnson doesn't make this roster. And as we talked about before the show, we can get into this now if we want. I'll give a little more context. Today, uh, I was reading um, David Syverson from, from our lads, who we've had on the show before and plan to have again, his practice report from practice saying he was like, look, man, Aaron, Aaron Robinson came off a really bad game where 
he didn't say this. I'm adding this context. So let me start by saying that Aaron Robinson did come off a game where he was burned at times by players like Tyquan Thornton and Brian Hoyer at the quarterback position, right? Like he did not look great in that game. And in size report from today, he completely shut down Kenny Galladay, like multiple times. Cyro, let me, let me get the actual quote from this because it's just crazy to me to see this, but you know, you have a practice where, Another uh, beat reporter reporter said that Galladay maybe saw two targets, didn't didn't catch a single pass in all of today's practice. Sai said Aaron Robinson was tested several times on quarter fade passes to Kenny Galladay, the second year corner from UCF won every single one. I mean, every single one after kind of not doing good in in similar type routes. I'm sure they wanted to test him after he had kind of a slow preseason start. We are maybe getting to the point like we talked about before the podcast, Nick, where a case can be made that if Galladay isn't the same receiver, and I want to wait till the regular season. Let me start by saying that. I want to see some regular season snaps from Galladay. I want to really try, kind of dive into the film with you and break down his releases off the line of scrimmage. I want a bigger sample size of that specifically, Nick, maybe 15, 20, 25 routes, that type of thing in a live game situation. But if his injury was as bad as it was, Galladay, and it was just never reported because that may happen, and the hip surgery just, just can't come back from You lost explosiveness. You lost agility. You lost what you were. A case can be made like Colin Johnson might give them a better chance right now. It's, it goes back to like the whole Tyrod Jones debate, the scholarship stuff, like who's expected to be the starter. Can he go these paid like the starter? But Colin Johnson right now is moving better on the field. Yeah. And we're not saying that it's the case that Colin Johnson is definitely better than Kenny Galladay right now. But I think the conversation should at least be discussed, you know, because it's crazy, but true. Because what have we seen? Dan from Kenny Galladay since he signed here. We haven't, we haven't seen it. And what is, what did we see in Detroit? We saw a good contested catch receiver was never a burner or anything like that, but somebody who still could create a little bit of separation. We're not seeing that much separation right now from Kenny Galladay. And I know coach Brian Dable said, yeah, he stacks sometimes and he does stack on top, but then you watch Colin Johnson and you see someone who's a little bit more fluid, who might have a little bit more pep in their step. And I just think that question should be put out there. I don't, like, I don't think it's unreasonable to at least ask that because what happened to Kenny Galladay at the end of Detroit? He had surgery on something that's very, very freaking important to playing wide receiver. And now we yes. not see a player who has the same speed. And you can make a ton of excuses, and a lot of them, most of them, are valid. Daniel Jones, Jason Garrett, bad offensive line, terrible offense. But now can we see it now? And we only saw one play preseason game in some training camp. And no one has been impressed. Still want to see a little bit more. But, I mean, it's it's something that, that we're talking about right now. Yeah, if we're going to talk about a steady drumbeat going the good way with players like Colin Johnson and Ben Brennison, we have to talk about the opposite when it's happening. And the steady drumbeat for Galladay has gone real steady, real cold, real slow. And the thing with Galladay is everyone talks about him like, oh, he was never, you know, he never was explosive. He was always contested. That's just not freaking true, dude. And I'm not saying this to you, Nick. I know you know this, but the dude averaged 18.3 yards per reception in 2019. 18.3. That is not a contested catch receiver. That's someone with explosive traits. 17.0 in 2017, 16.9 in 2020 with the Lions, then drops all the way to 14.1 with the Giants. So, like, this isn't what he, he's not just a guy who just trots out there and can only catch passes where he can extend away from his frame, or it's like a 50-50 ball. This is a guy who had some explosive ability in Detroit, and I don't know if it's there. Like, I, I, to be completely honest, a clean ACL tear would have been a much better injury for him to have than a hip injury where he needs surgery on his hip. Like, hip surgery is not great. Like, think about all the older people in your life who have maybe had it, and it's been tougher for them to come back from. These are not people even trying to compete for a sport. Like, 
hip hip is insanely important if that doesn't go according to plan or if there even is a way i don't know i don't even know too many athletes at the receiver position who've had his hip surgery so i don't even have like a basis to base this on nick like i can't look back and be like he had hip surgery here's how he did after that he had there's a really small sample size of this so i don't think it's I don't think I think there's a non-zero chance that he's just not what he was. And if that's the case and a player like Colin Johnson continues to perform well, it really shouldn't be scholarship based. Like at that point, Colin Johnson should play. Yeah, absolutely. I think whatever helps your team win should be the the course of action, right? I mean, it, it's uh doesn't sound crazy at all, right? But at the same time, a lot of people, a lot of people use the scholarship method. Because you're paying all that money, you got to go out there. We got to make something of you. And the Giants are in that situation. You know, you don't want to be in that situation. It's not an ideal situation to to find yourself in. But they certainly are right now with Kenny Galli. So, do you think, Dan, that Aaron Robinson struggled so bad on Thursday because he's so used to just shutting down Kenny Galladay because Kenny Galladay's old? Uh, no, I, I think there's other factors of why of you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I know you're not serious. That it just you know, look, we're not going to make too much of this. I think that's what you're kind of getting at here. Let let's circle it back. Let's bring it in. Let's reel it in. But at the same time, I just am a big believer here that look, if you are outperforming another player, like quite frankly, Colin Johnson has so far of Kenny Galladay. Now, there's reasons for it. I get it. It's the regular. It's not the preseason. It's, it is the preseason, not the regular season. Blah blah blah. All this stuff is true. At some point, the better player should play, like you said, Nick. So, so we'll see what happens there. Any other film takeaways before we dive into what we saw at practice on Sunday? And then, and not we specifically, what we've read and heard from the Beats. We'll do tweets from the Beats. We'll talk about what some of the reports are coming from, from those who were there. We were not. And then we'll also talk about the injuries that are starting to mount up. But anything else film takeaway-wise that we missed? Film takeaway-wise, we, we broke down a lot on the previous podcast. So you can listen to that if you had not just off of the broadcast. And like I said, we're going to be doing a much more extensive breakdown of the, of the film during the regular season. I will say one thing I thought Austin Caletro was pretty impressive playing against third stringers. He was just everywhere. He came up with the interception. That's all well and good, but he was rushing the passer. He was playing on the edge. I felt like he was really quick to the run fits. And he's somebody that I didn't really know all that much about other than the fact that he's been on like 12, different teams or something absolutely ridiculous. And he kind of looks like Pitbull. So I call him Mr. Worldwide, but I felt like he, <laughs> he impressed a little bit just in the, the second half read into that, what you want. The only reason I kind of bring it up is because the linebacker position isn't necessarily one that is filled with talent, but I think Micah McFadden and Darren Beavers, Darian Beavers both looked pretty solid out there as well. But I just wanted to give the kid a, a little tip of the hat because he, he had a little speed and explosiveness, I would say. I like it, Nick. I love these deep sleepers. So let's talk a little bit about what we saw from today's practice. I want to start at the top with just the injury situation before we do that. Shane Lemieux, who was injured in the first preseason game, was not practicing. Brian Dabes was nondescript when he was asked about if he'd be ready for the season. Uh, so that's not great. Cordell Flott, something with his foot is all we got. We'll see at the end of the week. I don't feel like that sounds like he's playing this Sunday. It sounds a little less long-term, I guess, than maybe Shane Lemieux does. Azudu working through some stuff. He's not practicing. Tony still not practicing. Starting to look very unlikely. Kadarius Tony will play in this preseason game. Injuries in practice, Nick, which you don't like to see. Jihad Ward left with an injury. Ellerson Smith left with an injury. John Feliciano left with an injury. I mean, geez, that's a lot right there. Uh, on the good side, Ossie Jolari activated. Took part in just individual drills on this Sunday. Not yet team drills. Um, any thoughts on those on the injury situation? It's starting to pile up. 
it's starting to pile up, but I don't know the severity of any of these guys to, to our knowledge. None of them are season ending, but we just got to monitor it. And it sucks, man. It's the, you know, the season's not that far away and you don't want to start right. suffering a lot of these injuries, especially when you have like three different interior offensive linemen go down, maybe, you know, four, if depending on how serious the Azudu stuff is. So we'll have to wait and really just monitor the situation, but it always sucks, man. And in addition to that, Justin Ellis was not participating in practice. There's no injury designation there, though. It's kind of unknown. This is from the beat. Matt Breida also not participating. Unknown what's going on there. Ricky Seals-Jones, too, man. Like, he's somebody else. Who's what just the hell is going on with the Ricky Seals-Jones situation? Uh, Dable said during the presser he's just rehabbing, so that okay. he's dealing with something. I'm just not really entirely certain what that is. Okay. Let's do some tweets from the beats here. Um, tweets from the beats. And we're going to include in this. Justin Pennick and Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants, even though they would be very disappointed if we ever called them a beat. They're not beat. They're not beat writers. Um, they don't want to be considered it. The beat guys. They're they're not media scum, as they say. But they are at practice and they're giving good evaluations. So they're getting grouped into the tweets from the beats. So here's just some things, Nick. I'm just gonna throw them all out there at one C and then we'll dive into them. Jordan Ronan, beat reporter for ESPN, says really rough day for the Giants offense. Completing passes, just completing passes was a struggle. Daniel Jones went 6 of 20 with an interception. Uh, <laughs> great. Tom Rock said, things were getting so bad on offense that they kept giving the first offense, first team offense sympathy first downs just to get the first team periods to last longer than three or four snaps. Yikes. <laughs> Darnay Holmes, one-handed interception of Daniel Jones in the end zone. This is from Pat Leonard uh, on a pass intended for Colin Johnson. He also said, in his opinion, this is Pat Leonard's opinion, so take that for what it's worth. It was the worst practice of camp so far for the offense. Talking Giants tweeted, Antonio Williams and Gary Brightwell getting grabs with the first team. You'll love to hear that. Adoree Jackson, interception off a tip pass from Daniel Jones. I guess he had two interceptions. Maybe that was uh, incorrect from Jordan Ronan on that, on that front with the one interception thing there. Um, let's see what else we have here. Brian Dable praised Antonio Williams from and Salomon. Praise Antonio Williams, who took advantage of his opportunities, said his best play was probably a special teams tack on kickoff. Nice. Special teams impact is going to get you there. It's going to get you onto that roster. Bobby Skinner said at some point the Giants should just start calling plays dead in practice. Daniel Jones is taking a million would-be sacks and then throwing the ball two full seconds later. Um, that's not great to hear, Nick, when they only completed six passes to begin with and Daniel Jones was getting extra time on would-be sacks. There was some talk, which we'll get to in a moment, Nick. Um, an evaluation of practice from Cy, our lad Cy, Cy uh, David Syverson, who, again, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, which talked a little bit more about Daniel Jones holding onto the ball for too long. Uh, a couple other interesting tweets from the beat. Justin Penick said, Kayvon Thibodeau followed Daniel Bellinger in motion and then played him in man coverage on a pass play. That's cool to see. He also said he saw Dexter Lawrence as a stand-up rusher in the A-gap on one snap. That's cool to see. And he also said he saw Micah McFadden lined up as an edge rusher on two consecutive plays. So that's also pretty cool to see. Any quick takeaways from those tweets from the beat, Nick? Not necessarily. I mean, if we had to have one, I guess, overall, I guess, thesis of what the heck the Giants were during training camp, it's that their offense has sucked. So it's not surprising that they're terrible now, even after, you know, a game. I'm not sure if they're working on something different. I'm not even entirely sure of it the period that they were running. So uh, I'll try to 
give them their their justice there. But the offense has lost to the defense all training camp. Daniel Jones has not looked great whatsoever, so I'm not surprised by any of that. And in terms of the stuff the defense is doing, putting Dexter Lawrence as a stand-up pass rusher in the A-gap and things like that, it's not a shock, man. I'm telling you, Wink Martindale does a lot of different cool stuff. We're going to see some of that stuff transpire and manifest during the season. Yep, you nailed it, Nick. And for those of you who might hear it in the background, is that what is that? Your parrot, Nick? You have a parrot, right? Or something like that? Uh, you guys hear Oscar? Yeah, it's uh, like I said, my audio setup here is is, is terrible. And I apologize <laughs> for that. My bird is. What is Oscar? Is Oscar a parrot? Yeah, he's an African gray parrot. I've had him since before my younger brother was born. So he's been in my life basically my entire life. And he just sounds just like my mother. And there are times where he would just he just talks for like hours on end to himself. It's it's pretty it's pretty damn neat, man. They're, they're the most talkative and like the smartest parrots. If anybody wants to get down a rabbit hole of parrot stuff, look up Alex the African Gray Parrot. He's he he passed away I think like a year or two ago, but he's one of like the smartest parrots ever. And uh, he became like famous for his intelligence. And he's the same. Oscar's the same breed as as that parrot. Do you think you can get Oscar to say something for him? maybe maybe see if you can get him to say date say. Hey, Oscar, repeat this. Dave Gettleman took two full years off my life. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They mimic female voices so well, so maybe I'll try to get Diana to do okay, that for you. Okay, we'll see what happens there. But if you can ever get him to be a guest on the podcast, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah, let's let's dive a little bit more into the offense. I want to talk about a practice, uh, an excerpt from size practice sport. A lot of shout-outs for David Syverson on today's podcast. He's an awesome dude. If you don't follow Dave, you should because he's freaking great at what he does. But he said, uh, and he was at practice, he was one of his, he, he went to camp for some of these practices. He said, this is a quote from him. Just want to be clear. So all the haters, uh, you know, all the people who call me hater can just really just hone, hone it in and understand I'm not saying this. This is a quote from a practice report from David Syverson, who I have a lot of respect for his own evaluation. And I wanted to point it out. He said, Daniel Jones had a horrific day. He says, I don't have the exact stat line for him, although the beat guys do a really good job of that. We already went over that. Six of 20, two picks. But he said the macro level takeaway here was that he just looked overmatched. He held onto the ball forever and seemed to throw two incomplete passes for every one completion. The ones he did connect on were almost all checkdowns or immediate passes that looked predetermined before the snap. Jones also threw to an interception. He said the internal clock wasn't there. And that's another difference between him and Tyrod Taylor. Two and a half seconds is the approximate time you want a QB to get the ball out. Jones was probably over four seconds, and he still did not connect on these passes. On probably more than half of his throws. He said Tyler Taylor, on the other hand, just got it out much quicker. Any thoughts on that evaluation? No, it seems spot on from just watching Daniel Jones. I didn't see this training camp. This has been a consistent theme. And I don't view Cy as someone who's a Daniel Jones hater. He's very objective. Yeah. So I, I respect his opinion. And it's something that we've seen throughout Daniel Jones's career. It's something we've criticized him for several times. So it sucks that he's not putting it all together. I still think, you know, can he eventually do that once he's really comfortable in the offense? Yeah, sure. But I just feel like we're, we're not grasping at straws, bro, but we're grasping at something when we're when we're trying to salvage this situation. Because most things about Daniel Jones through training camp, they've been pretty, pretty damn negative. Yeah, it sucks. It really does. And hope and again, let's let's keep in mind at least it's training camp. It's 
it's uh it's practice it was funny i, I tweeted that quote out from side because i really thought it was an interesting evaluation of what he saw and someone was like you guys are just crazy making all these like it's practice wait for regular season like dude the dude is just evaluating and observing what he sees isn't that what you want you want evaluation and observations about things like practice practice is not nothing like as brian rogers broke down a couple of weeks ago it's actually pretty important to go and practice and to make plays against first team your first team defense and and you know defense coordinator is actually adjusting to things post snap so it is what it is, man. Um, it's getting harder and harder for me to think things are going to change in year four here, but I'm going to try to remain optimistic and, 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 you know, things will hopefully get better with He does have the benefit of having Brian Daves and Kafka, who I do think are going to design a really quarterback friendly offense for what, for Jones, hopefully. Um, so yeah, they'll put him in a position to have success and now he just needs to seize it. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, all right, Nick, any, uh, I feel like that was kind of the big takeaway from back. So we touched on that. We talked about Galladay uh, not being able to create separation and beat Aaron Robinson on some of those routes. Other than that, there just isn't much to take away from this practice besides the injuries. And the, like the, the offense was dominated in this practice, and that's just the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's much more to read in, especially since we weren't there. Yeah, without a doubt. All right. Anyway, we're looking forward to the next Giants preseason game coming up this Sunday. We're going to obviously do what we did for this one, break it down after the game, and then, of course, do some film stuff. Keep it locked and loaded, baby, because regular season is almost here. We're now almost here. We're under the month mark before the first Giants football game, which is crazy to think about. So have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.